So a couple things happened in my family yesterday. One was, uh, so my son Calvin was hospitalized yesterday. He, had, uh, he has an infection in some fluid around his hip, and he had a little procedure last night at the hospital, and they were able to sort of clean that out, and he's getting treatment. He'll, he's expecting full recovery, so, uh, but that was all kind of through the night last night, and he got out of, his, um, out of recovery into the, back into his room there. Uh, about four o'clock this morning, so kind of a kind of a crazy night. At the same time, yesterday, my wife was driving my son to Mass General. I was driving my dad. So some of you have been praying for my dad. He's been hospitalized since late November and in and out of rehab and things. And he got discharged yesterday at the same time. So I was driving him from the rehab home, and then. My son was going to the hospital, and it was a busy medical day, but praise God for... So my dad's home, which is actually a really good thing, um, and Calvin's getting the care he needs, so everything's good. It's um, praise God for modern medicine and, and uh, that everybody's safe, so that's, uh, that's good. So that's kind of where I'm at personally. We're talking about personal things today, so might as well just kind of lay it all out there. Um, you, you had that moment last week we were here and I said, yeah, the next three weeks we're going to be talking about sex and we kind of laughed. Ha, ha. And then we start reading today and you say, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> he wasn't kidding. Like, we're actually going to do this. So like, yeah, we're actually going to do this. Um, specifically talking about marriage and divorce today. Uh, marriage, it's funny because it seems so simple. It's so basic and fundamental to human life. Marriage and sex in marriage. Um, it, it, and it's not a new thing. So Christians didn't invent marriage. That marriage is prehistoric. That marriage is from the, it's part of God's created order. That God, um, he, through nature, God has instituted this. So it, it predates even human history from the first humans. We have marriage. And so it's so simple. So the question is, how does something that's so natural... And so simple, how does it become so difficult? Because marriage is this beautiful, permanent, lifelong union of a, a man and a woman, and, but they can fall apart so quickly. And so we need God's wisdom to understand this. It's his, it's his institution. So we seek God's wisdom. And this is important for us for, for two, two big reasons it's really important to us. The first is that if we get this wrong... We, um, there's groups that have gotten this wrong before, I, I believe. There, there was a religious group, uh, the, the Shakers. I don't know if you're familiar with the Shakers. Um, they, you know, late 18th century, their theology led them to believe that you should not become married or have sex. Um, so they don't exist anymore. <laughs> they don't, you know, they, they, um, their numbers declined dramatically over time. And they, had, they did some beautiful things. They had, they had very vibrant worship and they were shaken in their worship, but that's kind of where it ended. And they, uh, they adopted a lot of children and that, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. And they had, um, you know, the, this, these faith communities that they set up, but, you know, there was, they're all dead except for two. There was three of them and one died and then there was two left. And, but there's a new convert, so now there's three. But it's a really tough way to, you know, keep things going. In our world today, actually a lot of religious, when, when the percentages of, you know, world religions by population, when those things change, a lot of it isn't people converting to new faith. It's really just reproduction. There's certain places in the world where people are reproducing at much greater rates. Um, but if we get this wrong, we will cease to exist. So, and it's, it's almost... 
self-evident and almost silly, but that's actually a profound notion. Um, the perpetuation of our faith even uh, is important here. But I think even a more important reason is addressed here in this passage. 1 Corinthians 7, 1, Paul writes to these believers in Corinth. He said, about the matters you wrote about, it's good for a man, he's quoting them now, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's what they told him. That was their idea. And he said, about that, no, no, you misunderstand this. And you need to understand it because their view of the human body and of sexuality and of marriage, all these things, that were they had it all wrong. And in Corinth, we talked about it last week, there were those who said, look, my body is not important. You know, my spiritual life's important, but my body doesn't matter what I do, so whatever feels good, I'm going to do it. There were others also had a very low view of the body, but they chose the ascetic route. Like, you know what? I'm actually not going to do anything that gives me pleasure. I'm not going to pursue these things because they're not as important as my relationship to God. And that was on the other extreme. So they said, we're not, nobody's going to have sex, not even in marriage. And, And Paul says, no, actually, that's not the right view because your body God gave to you and it's important. And God himself took on human flesh, Jesus Christ. The human body is very important. And if you understand marriage, it's going to help you understand God. God, right from the beginning, he said, um, he, he created humans, male and female, in his image. So there's something about male and female that reflect God in some way. So as we understand humanity, it's, it's a reflection of God. And then in marriage... Scripture says that um, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. That's God's design from, uh, from the very beginning. And there's something in that union that uniquely reflects God's love. Um, Ephesians chapter 5, again, this is the same author, the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a different church, but he said, you know, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He said that union of man, woman, you coming together, is um, reflects Jesus's love for his church. I need to cough. Give me a second. That's better. Um, our bodies, particularly in the marriage union, Maureen, I'm going to need some water. Yeah. Thank you. Um, uniquely reflect God's love. That's a profound thing. Now, not everybody's married, but even if you're not married, marriage itself still becomes an example to you of what that can be. And so if we, it helps us to understand God's love for his church, what Jesus did for his church in deeper ways. And the more, so the more we understand marriage, the more we understand God. And the more we understand God, the more we understand marriage. And we want to know God. We want to experience what God uh, has for us, his love, his presence. And, and these are all things that we um, can know through this. We want to know it right. So let's pray as we approach this. So Father God, we do want to know your heart. We want to know your will and your way. You've created us, and we are lost in this world without you. So as we consider this topic, Lord, we are talking about things that are are personal and that um, even hurts that we've experienced that are deep and joys that are profound as well. Help us to um, know it rightly. So we pray, Lord, by the power of your spirit that you would be our teacher. And we give this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Excellent.
Okay, there's four groups that are addressed, addressed here. Uh, the first is, I'm going to call the happily married. The second group is the single. The third group is the unhappily married. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but all of you, all of you fit into one of those categories. You are either happily married, or you are single for whatever reason, or you are unhappily married. Then there's a fourth group that's addressed, is the unequally married, and that's a unique case and uniquely challenging. Actually, they all have unique blessings and challenges attached to them. So let's just uh, run through these four. First is the happily married. In verses 3 and 4, Paul is teaching this church about mutuality, mutuality in marriage, that there is a duty that a husband has to a wife and a wife to a husband. And this yielding one to another, that the, the human body is not just your own in marriage. It actually is, be, belongs to your spouse, the husband to the wife, the wife to the husband. Know that this is profound teaching. 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote this. As far as I know, nowhere else in history has anyone ever said that. In, in the first century, a woman was considered property of her husband, certainly in Corinth and in many cultures in the world, that women were just property of men. And here, Paul says specifically, actually, that man is property of the woman. This is a profound elevation of womanhood that we see in Scripture that really doesn't exist anywhere else in the world in the first century. It's a profound statement. I don't want to lose that here. And so to the, to the man, he says, you may, not have, you, know, you may not have sex with anyone who's not your wife. <coughs> Excuse me. Did something, there's like a tickle. Like, a, like I ate something. Hmm? I don't think that'll work. Okay. They'll, they'll just have to wait. I mean, they, <coughs> you guys aren't going anywhere. Um, but this is how, he said, this is how it worked in Corinth. Men could have multiple partners. There was these uh, temple prostitutes. There was all this activity in the city. They could do that, and it was seen as pretty normal. Women who had multiple partners were despised. So it's okay for men to do, not for women. And here Paul teaches, no, actually not okay for men to do. Um, th- this yielding language, when we, when we think about that, it just points us straight to Jesus. Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That even God, one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God, even within God himself, there is this yielding the Father to do the will, uh, the Son to do the will of the Father. And then Jesus Yielding even his very life for us, his people. Jesus, in his very nature, God, as as it says in Philippians, did not consider his equality with God something uh, to use to his own advantage, but made himself nothing. Again, he yielded it. He took on the human form, took on human flesh uh, to, to, to serve and to be obedient to even death on a cross, to save us. That's God's love. That is the way of the cross is to yield your own rights for the sake of another. And in, in marriage, and in, in, in the sexual part of marriage, that is the example for us. That is what that reflects. So in verse 5, Paul says, don't deprive each other. So you, you, you need to have sex. I like how the, the Alpha marriage course teaches this well. They said, look, sex is not the icing on the cake of a good marriage. It's actually part of the cake itself. And... 
you, and, and so you, you shouldn't deprive each other. And you could temporarily, but very briefly, to, to pray and to fast, but to come back together. That's why I don't, I don't like separation. Sometimes couples say, well, we're going to get separated for a while to work our stuff out. I've, it, it works sometimes if the couple is committed to prayer, if they're committed to reconciliation, if it's only just to sort things out between you and God and come back together. But otherwise, it just becomes a pre-divorce. We're going to separate and see how that goes. And then things tend to, to not, because it's important to be together even physically. But, but this can be difficult. And even in marriage, even in a healthy marriage, sex can be difficult for different reasons. This is the irony of having children. So, as you know, sex leads to children. But children do not lead to sex. They, I mean, it, there's this self-correcting thing there where they are just, you know, climbing all over your spouse and up at night and uh, exhausting. Um, but not just children. It's, you know, stages of life and stresses and work stress and health issues, age. All these things can make this part of your marriage very difficult. Um, and when we struggle in these ways, it's very difficult to ask for help because it can seem embarrassing. And, um, but we need help because verse 5, it's not just a physical thing. There's a spiritual reality here that the enemy says would love to attack you when you're discouraged. Oh, I'm not getting what I need physically from my partner. And, and the enemy would use that to cause you to sin and to fail and to destroy you and your marriage. Uh, so communication becomes very key for married couples in this and, and seeking the help that you need. But that's the instruction to married couples here, happily married. Now, the second group here is the singles. So in verses 6 and 7, Paul basically says, um, he, well, he says, I say this as a concession, not a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, he, meaning single. He said, actually, you know, if you were single, it's actually better because you could. there's benefit to that. There's freedom in that. In the Lord, and for ministry, and there's all kinds of advantage to that. And we're going to talk about singleness next week. But the point here is that it's good, and that healthy churches will have healthy single people. And the Bible places a high value on singleness. And Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God, but also fully human, was a single human man. Uh, Singleness is good. He devoted his life uh, to the mission that God gave him. So there are no second-class citizens. And I know, and I've talked to people who have felt that way. They say, look, you know, there's so much emphasis on family events and on youth ministry and children's thing. What about single people? And we say, actually, single people are a growing demographic in our church and important in God's kingdom. And in this spiritual family, we need healthy singleness and we need to uphold that. But then in verses 8 and 9, basically says, you know, but if there is a desire to have a partner, to experience the joys of oneness in marriage, that's a good desire. Don't feel guilty about that. You know, I've, I've met, especially, you know, widows or widowers who say, oh, I feel guilty for, you know, moving on or to, to become married again. That's not a bad, um, that's not a bad desire. I wouldn't be alive. My, my dad was uh, a, a widower. He was, his wife was 30 years old. She had a brain aneurysm and died. And he had two little girls. And if he had not moved on, if he had not you know, become married again, I wouldn't have been born. So he married my mother, and my sister and I were born, and they raised the, the four of us together. But it's a good desire for companionship and partnership. Don't feel guilty about that. 
But both marriage and singleness have blessing, and both marriage and singleness have their burdens. I know plenty of single people who say, man, I just, I would love to have a partner. I would love to be married. But I also know plenty of married people who say, man, I prefer to be single. (laughs) And if, if we do this, oh, if I had just married someone different, or if you're single, if I had just gotten married, if I just stayed with that relationship, or if I hadn't been divorced, or if I did this or that, if I had pursued this earlier, ended that sooner, you totally miss out on the fact that God has you here today, that God has something for your life today, no matter what your past is, whatever mistakes in relationships, whatever joys you've had in the past, that God has something for you today. You're going to get up tomorrow, and you're going to go about your day. I believe that as you put your faith in God, he has a mission for you if you're single. He has a mission for you if you're married. But you miss that mission if you just you don't know, spend all your life on regret. That's why Jesus died to forgive us and to free us from our past, to save us and to bring us into his kingdom and send us on mission. That's, that's, so we, we, we don't, we, we look forward. God, what are you calling me to? And this whole, Oh, I haven't done enough in my life. I haven't accomplished enough. I haven't become married. I haven't had children. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't. The gospel is you couldn't do enough. You'll never do enough. But Jesus did it all for you. And regardless of your mistakes or whatever you think is your shortcomings, he loves you. And you're part of his family. So that's, um, that's the advice to single people. Thirdly, the unhappily married. So he says, to the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. I'm in verse 10. Verse 11, if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And then he says, same true for the husband. You, husband's not to divorce the wife. And he says, uh, not I, but the Lord. So Paul's saying, this isn't my saying. Jesus, when he was on earth, he, he specifically said this. And it's accounted in the Gospels. And you know, the apostles would say, Jesus taught these things. They also taught with authority, with God's authority, because they were his apostles. But specifically, he says, this is Jesus' teaching. He said, you shouldn't be divorced. Divorce is not good. Now, sometimes divorce is necessary, but um, divorce is not good. And, and you, you may have been divorced yourself or someone in your family, friends you have. We see it and we know the pain, the deep pain of this, this one flesh union that God has designed when it gets torn apart. And it's not a happy ending. It's never a happy ending, although sometimes it's necessary. In verse 15, gives an example of where... Um, Divorce would be necessary. Even Jesus said there's instances where divorce would be appropriate if the case of adultery. But it's not a happy ending. It's still painful. Um, For us, then, the command is to to stay married, to do what you can. Um, Divorce doesn't happen overnight. But often, by the time a couple is asking for help, I mean, there's not much left. That things are so broken and so many hurts and so much damage. Um, You know, right on the brink of divorce. But even then, we've seen the grace of God for reconciliation and healing. Right to the point of signing papers. And, And marriage is reconciled. We've seen that. Not every time. We've seen couples that have been divorced. We've seen couples that have been divorced for years. Remarried. Reunited. It's a beautiful thing. Not every time. Not always possible. But 
to have hope. You know, more marriages might survive if, if they realize that the better is coming after the worse. So you've got to hit that worse before you can see the better. And very few people come to me and say, you know what, it just, I tried too hard. Really worked at that too much. Often it's, it's just the opposite. So we work at these things. We seek God's grace. We, we seek to reconcile. There's great resources out there. There's counseling. There's um, just maintenance you do before there's trouble. There's marriage enrichment courses and there's retreats and different things. There's all kinds of things um, that you can do to invest in that. But it's the, the, those hurts go on for years and years and they need to be addressed because, the, because God has created male and female to be united as a permanent union, not as something to tear apart. So that's the instruction for the, what I'll call the unhappily married. Lastly is the unequally married. And just quickly on this, um, this is the instance where one, in a marriage, where one is a believer and one is not. And, and Paul says, I and not the Lord. Jesus didn't specifically teach this because it wasn't a reality. There wasn't Christians before Jesus. It, it, it became a new problem in the first century because the good news of Jesus is going, the message of his kingdom is going to these cities like Corinth and people are coming to faith. And sometimes one person would come to faith and the other wouldn't. So you can imagine in Corinth, a husband saying, my wife is into this new God and is visiting the prison, is visiting with poor people, is greeting with a kiss and was with these other people and going to these meetings and, and she's trying to you know, get me to go. You could see how this could cause tension. And even today, whether it was from the beginning or uh, one person in a marriage comes to faith, that it changes the schedule. There you are, always reading your Bible. You want to go to church on the weekends now. You've got your small group. I don't even know what this cult is that you've joined. And, it can, and it's, isn't that ironic, though, that Jesus, who loves marriage, that when one person comes to faith in Jesus, creates tension in the marriage. It's very real. And then there's a great pressure on the believing spouse to, to be a witness. And you're under a microscope. Oh, we'll see how long this one lasts. Um, but we remember that God, you don't know if your husband or wife will be saved, verse 16. And it's God's work. You just live out your faith. But the encouragement here is to stay in that marriage because you have a really, there's an opportunity. There's a blessing. There is a sanctifying, a purifying type of a presence that you bring to your marriage and to your children. That, that your family is part of a covenant community because of your faith. Now, that's not a, a saving thing, but there is, a, there is a sort of a purifying and a setting apart of your family that comes through your faith. And it's, it's in God's hand, you know, that they may be saved by, uh, by your witness. So the encouragement there and my encouragement today is to say, stay in that marriage. There's blessings to be had, but, um, but it's not always possible for that to stay together. That um, one, verse 15, if your partner leaves, you know, if they depart, then you can let them go. And there's a, there's a number of ways you can depart a marriage through physical, physical abandonment, through adultery, through violence and uh, abuse, things that just destroy the marriage covenant. Um, but God's, God's grace is sufficient. No matter what your past or decisions you've made about these things in your own marriage, the things that you've experienced, God's grace 
is sufficient. And and you'll notice in these four groups, there's no one-size-fits-all, right? This is not strict legal laws about marriage. It's it's the general principle to to stay married because it's good and it reflects God. But these are all different ways we can trust God in marriage or in our singleness, for that matter. The key verse is verse 7. You know, to one, one has this gift, another has that gift. It's all different ways that God has, places that God has brought us. And it's the God who has made us for a perfect union with him. That's how God designed us. But we have, rebe- we have left that covenant. We have, um, the Bible describes it as adultery. We're the ones who've gone and wandered and tried other things. But he pursues us. And he goes all the way, comes to this earth. Jesus dies for us pays the price to to bring us back into that union with him. And and that's the cross. That's the cross. And the cross-shaped life that follows after that. Uh, It uses that same self-sacrificing love uh, to nurture your marriage as well. Let us pray. Father, you have loved us perfectly. And we, you've called us to love one another perfectly. We don't. But by your grace, we, we receive your grace. And, um, you know, by your love, we receive that and we trust it. And we pray, Lord, that you would heal marriages, that we, are, there are so, so many deep hurts and, and so many uh, deep betrayals that have been experienced. Um, but we just pray, Lord, that your grace would be known and that healing and reconciliation would be known where, where it's needed, Lord. And help us to be a church that... Um, that supports marriages. Help us to be a church that supports singleness, Lord, as we all seek to to grow in our faith of you and that you've set us all on mission, Lord, and we accept that. We pray that we would know it and we'd be obedient to it. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.